From the right policies to the right politics, Citizens for Responsible Energy Solutions helps bring durable climate solutions to life from a right-of-center perspective. Learn more about Cress's mission and programs, including the Clean Energy Boot Camp for candidates and elected officials at www.cressenergy.com. Welcome back, everyone, to the Plugged In podcast. We are very happy to have former Congressman Carlos Curbelo, very familiar name to our audience, of course. He represented Florida's 26th congressional district until 2018, co-founder of the Bipartisan uh, Climate Solutions Caucus, first Republican in a decade introduced a carbon tax bill in 2018. Mr. Carlos Trebello, appreciate you being on with me and uh, former FERC chair, Neil Chatterjee. Josh, uh, Mr. Chairman, I can't stop saying that. Uh, it's wonderful to be with you. Thanks for this opportunity. Thanks for uh, joining us on the Plugged In Podcast. Yeah, so, so, so Carlos, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, in our last episode, we spoke with, with Representative John Curtis of, of Utah. He, he started a, a climate caucus uh, among conservatives, and he's, he's leading a delegation to, to Glasgow, which is ha- uh, the, the big UN climate conference, which is happening as, as, we, uh, as this episode airs. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just wondering kind of what the fact that there is this, uh, you know, Republican only, uh, you know, group going to Glasgow. I mean, how, how do you feel like that reflects on, on where Republicans are on, on this issue and just how, how that's evolved since, since you left Congress? Well, Josh, five years ago, when I started working on this issue in Congress, six years ago, that was unimaginable that a group of Republicans would travel to a United Nations conference to talk about climate change. Those, those were both uh, bad words in, in the Republican Party of 2015 and 16, climate change and United Nations. So uh, it really shows uh, that the evolution has been extraordinary in the last five or six years. The degree of bipartisan cooperation, collaboration, and dialogue uh, is just worlds apart uh, from the 114th Congress in 2015 when I started walking around uh, recruiting House Republicans to work with me on this issue. I, I think I found four or five who were even willing uh, to say the words climate and change together in an audible voice. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's something that I think anyone who cares about this issue should celebrate. And it's something that, that I certainly celebrate every day because uh, I, uh, I was a part of getting it going and, and, uh, you know, I'm still trying to make some contributions today. You know, uh, it, for our audience, uh, who may not be totally familiar with your background, can you just, you know, kind of uh, give them, you know, a sense of your politics? Uh, I mean, it's not like you're some kind of squish or rhino. You're a guy that ran in a tough district, Florida, you know, we're really known for, for, for being smart on policies like immigration and the economy. And there's a sense that, your your leadership on climate issues may have hurt you politically, but I, I get the sense from knowing you and talking to you that that's not the case at all, that you think it helped you. Uh, I was just wondering if you could kind of frame that up for our audience. Yeah, Neil, I, I'm, I'm very honest about this issue. I'd love to say that, uh, you know, from the time I was born or time I turned five years old, I wanted to make a contribution when it came to environmental policy or climate change. 
But you know, when I ran and and started my campaign in 2013 and won in 2014, honestly, it was not a prominent issue in my campaign. I did not focus on it very much. I, you know, I always thought we should have good environmental policy, but it just wasn't a, a point of emphasis for me. And then I had a meeting with scientists from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration early in my first term in 2015. I saw the statistics, I saw the data, I saw the projections for my district, for my community. And I said, oh gosh, I, I have to lead on this issue. It's not, you know, e even if uh, it hasn't been an issue of passion for me in the past, I, I don't have a choice. So I got involved, uh, started recruiting Republicans, eventually uh, built out the House uh, Climate Solutions Caucus together with uh, Ted Deutsch, a Democrat from, from up the road here in, in Palm Beach. And, um, you know, that was really the beginning of bipartisanship uh, on this issue in Congress. And at, at one point in the 115th Congress, uh, we even organized the caucus to vote down anti-climate amendments filed by Republicans, and we succeeded. It was the first time during that Republican majority that um, uh, there was that kind of dynamic on the floor. So, um no, I, I mean, look, I'm, a, I'm an original co-sponsor of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Uh, I voted to repeal and replace the ACA because I think our country uh, deserves a better, uh, more market-based approach to healthcare. So I'm, I'm, uh, you know, fairly conservative on a lot of issues, but uh, because I'm conservative and because I like to solve problems, I got, I got involved in this issue. And you're, you're right to point out that some disingenuously claim that I lost in 2018 because of my involvement in this issue. It was the opposite. I was the top performing Republican in my district, which by the way, was the most democratic leaning district held in the entire country by a Republican at that time. So I outperformed Ron DeSantis on the ballot. I outperformed Rick Scott on the ballot. And that was in large part because of my work on this issue. And because there's a lot of people in South Florida who live at about sea level and near the sea and worry about sea level rise. So um, look, we, uh, we can uh, be true to our ideologies and to our principles uh, while also being pragmatic and finding solutions to challenges that uh, emerge. And obviously uh, this issue of carbon pollution is a major challenge and, and we should all try to contribute to make it better. With Florida being at the epicenter of it and tourism being so important to Florida's economy and we're seeing Florida impacted by these storms and insurance companies having to pay out huge sums to uh, to restore damage done when some of these storms hit grid operators having to you know replace transmission lines you know uh, and hit rate pairs with that repeatedly like do you see the dynamics and the politics in Florida specifically around climate change shifting Totally. I've always uh, told people that if, if we're going to get a big solution for climate change in the United States, whether that be carbon pricing or something else, I think that solution is very likely to be born in Florida. Because here, climate change and sea level rise and ocean acidification, they are not theories or ideas. We're living it. Um, a lot of municipalities have already had to invest millions of dollars in elevating roads, in strengthening seawalls, 
in trying to putting um, the keys right right well that's that's right i represented the florida keys i mean imagine can you imagine an area in our country more exposed to this threat you probably can't and um it's very costly so this cost is already being born it's being paid uh, by people in our country and not just in places like florida but in ag communities obviously out west uh, with wildfires, tornadoes uh, year round in parts of the country that, that would only see them in the summer. So we're already facing the costs. The, the question is, how are we going to uh, incorporate those costs um, into our economy in a transparent way so that people are aware of the risk and um, we, can, we can actually solve for the issue by mitigating, making sure it doesn't get worse, putting less carbon pollution in the air and also adapting. I mean, we're going to have to, all this stuff I talked about, elevating roads and, yeah. and building new bridges and, um, you know, rethinking um, uh, FEMA and the way FEMA operates. So uh, there, there are so many uh, important questions here. And uh, for a long time, Republicans were ignoring them. Now Republicans are in the game. They're paying attention and they're coming up with their own solutions. And that's wonderful. Yeah, I, I'm, you know, I, I, I've found in my conversations with Republicans and, and voters, you know, I had a chance to, to uh, you know, of course, you remember, I came to your district uh, before right. your election, and that was a lot of fun, got to, uh, you know, talk, talk with some voters there. And, and yeah, I mean, it, it just feels like, you know, the adaptation, resilience, this kind of amorphous term, I mean, these things are easier for people to kind of, both parties, you know, to general, generate consensus on. Now, on mitigation is where there's more maybe um, polarization. Have you, I mean, do do you have a feeling, I mean, do you feel like there's um, more of a recognition of like, you know, the issue of of fossil fuels and, and, you know, fossil fuel use is going to have to be addressed here um, to really meet, you know, the emissions goals, or is it still, that's still kind of a a dirty word. I mean, you talk to John Curtis, he says, don't demonize fossil fuels. So, I mean, it's still, at least in Congress, I I haven't seen Look, there's no question that Republicans are embracing policies that will reduce how much we pollute the air with carbon emissions. When you invest in research and development for direct air capture, for new nuclear, uh, for carbon capture and storage, those are all solutions to reduce uh, emissions that pollute the air. Um, Now, can Republicans do more? Should they do more? Absolutely. But I remind people in 2018, uh, I was working uh, with Senator Heitkamp and others to expand 45Q, that's the carbon capture tax credit in the IRS code. Paul Ryan and Kevin Brady fought me and everyone else who was working on this every step of the way. They were against it. They thought it was unnecessary. I didn't even know that. Oh, absolutely. They told me to my face. I asked them for their help. They told me they were going to uh, try to you know, hurt my, stymie my efforts uh, wow. yeah, in a very nice way. You know, Paul's not a, not a rude guy, but um, they, uh, they were against this. And, and, you know, the Republicans of today proudly and loudly embrace, um, you know, this uh, 45Q as, as one of their solutions. So that's just a very specific example of how much things have changed and of how Republicans have realized that we do 
need to reduce um, air pollution uh, by way of carbon emissions? I mean, I think it's important, right, to have uh, Republicans at the table in trying to come up with constructive solutions. Otherwise, you end up with just, you know, kind of bad policy. I'm looking right now, and, you know, the president is getting ready to lead this delegation to Glasgow as we record this, and was hoping to, to go there to demonstrate U.S. leadership, and he's not going to have much to show for it. Uh, you know, the CEPP fell out no carbon price, likely no methane fee. Uh, it looks like they're just going with a bunch of tax credits uh, because they're doing this in a partisan way through reconciliation. Don't you think we'd be much better off as a country in demonstrating U.S. leadership if we work together to put forward bipartisan solutions? Uh, I, I don't know uh, how you feel about what's going into this reconciliation vehicle or BBB, uh, but uh, to me, climate activists have to be sorely disappointed because they don't seem like they're getting much other than a bunch of DOE funds where it feels like it's 2009 all over again. Well, that's right, Neil. If, if we're going to have durable, meaningful policy with staying power, it has to be done in a bipartisan basis. And then we have a lot of recent examples of that. Look, we Republicans, you know, my preference in 2017 was to do tax reform in a bipartisan way, but our leadership chose to use reconciliation. Well, guess what? Our tax bill is going to get cut up now. I don't know exactly what they're going to do, but um, it's, it's not going to remain as we passed it. Uh, the ACA, Democrats did that via reconciliation. It was attacked for a decade and cost them dearly uh, politically. So um, it, this is what I would have done if, if I was um, Joe Biden and, and, and a Democratic leader in Congress, I would have said, you know, we are going to do a bill uh, on climate change. It'll be an only climate change bill, not, you know, something like the Green New Deal that's really uh, um, uses climate as an excuse to fundamentally transform our economy in a way that, that would be very harmful. And, uh, you know, in, in some ways, this, this, big democratic reconciliation bill is kind of like a mini Green New Deal, a, a very you know, modest uh, decaf Green New Deal. Um, but I would have put the pressure on Republicans and said, you know what, we're going to use reconciliation, but we want to do it with Republicans. We want five, six, seven. Right. It doesn't prohibit. I mean, Republicans exactly. could, could get involved. We're going to lower the threshold to 50 but we want to work with five, six, seven, eight Senate Republicans, maybe the seven Republicans in the Senate Climate Solutions Caucus to build a climate bill that our country can celebrate in a bipartisan way. And they, they have one reconciliation uh, chip left. I assume they're gonna use it next year in some way, but uh, that would have been the best way to do this. Number one, it would have put Republicans on the spot, and Republicans have been talking a much better game on climate in recent years, and it's been backed by some actions, but modest action. Uh, Democrats could have put the pressure on Republicans and gotten some policies that would have been built to last, that if you show up at a UN conference and say, look, we passed this bill, Republicans and Democrats together, wow, that's, that's a real victory. That's something that the rest of the world is going to say, okay, I can, I can believe in this. I can count on this. And now we're going to do our part as well.
Uh, yeah, on, on on one of one of the policies, obviously that that you know you you focus on that uh, you know proponents of climate uh, you know significant climate action are talking about or have talked about for a long time carbon pricing. You know, the, I mean, a lot of our listeners, you know, I'm sure are, are one you know know about your leadership on that issue and wondering like why there hasn't been uh, another Republican to to step up and support it. I mean, I, Ryan or Brian Fitzpatrick out of Pennsylvania is, is the lone uh, Republican sitting in Congress to support carbon pricing uh, legislation on that. Romney, Mitt Romney senator has talked about it, uh, you know, but hasn't come on legislation. Like, like what's stopping it at this point? I mean, big oil is now, you know, I guess they, they say they've been for carbon pricing for a long time. They're starting to even get, you know, louder on that as uh you know, they've been criticized, uh, you know, for not, not doing enough. I mean, so like what, what's stopping it? And it has it disappointed you that, that it hasn't really happened yet. Well, Josh, look, it's, it's a heavy lift on the Republican side because it's, it's a new tax. And even though it makes perfect sense and the revenues can be used to reduce other taxes that don't make as much sense, like income taxes or corporate taxes, for example, that are kind of more arbitrary in nature. Um, uh, you know, it's still a tax and that's, uh, that, that gives Republicans a lot of apprehension. Now I will say, you know, a, a tax on carbon was legitimately, or, or who knows, could, could still be, maybe has still an outside chance of being included in this legislation. And that kind of shows you how much the concept has grown in 10 years uh, in, um, you know, 2009 and 10, uh, 60 Democrats couldn't even give this kind of policy um, uh, any serious consideration. Uh, didn't even to, to, huh? They didn't even put Waxman Markey. No, the no, they, they were like, you know, keep that away from us. Uh, in 2021, 50 Democrats uh, have come pretty close to adopting that policy, including some, some fairly centrist Democrats. So I think that policy concept is, is still... Uh, gaining traction and becoming more uh, attractive, but uh, very slowly. And and I will say that they're they're, you know, I, I I'm aware that there's probably a handful of Republicans in the Senate who would who would be serious about considering this kind of policy if they were included, if they could design uh, the entire thing, and, and especially um the uh, the expenditures part which is the fun part for any politician so um i i do i do still see a future uh for carbon pricing obviously we're going to price carbon one way or another we're either going to do it through tax credits and research and development or uh we could do it in a more simple and transparent way for the american people to to see and to and to adapt to but um you know that that remains to be seen in terms of how things are shifting, you know, uh, uh, I've made very clear uh, I favor market-based solutions to dealing with carbon mitigation. That I'm opposed to regulations and subsidies and mandates. And during my time in the Senate, uh, working as an aide to Leader McConnell, we vigorously fought uh, the EPA Clean Power Plan because we saw that as regulatory overreach that would impose a lot of costs on consumers. And during that time, we did polling that showed that even in areas where Americans were in agreement that climate change was was man-made and real uh, and, and we needed to do something about it, that when you started to ask Americans whether they would be willing to pay change, 
support quickly fell off. Uh, you've recently done some polling in this area to show that even there, the idea that uh, American consumers would be willing to pay uh, to combat climate change, that even there, the needle has shifted some. Can you uh, walk us through some of uh, your latest findings? That, that's right, Neil, and I don't have the, the numbers in front of me right now, but uh, the University of Chicago's Epic Center, which I'm um, doing a fellowship at for this uh, academic year, uh, did a poll with the AP, and uh, we found that a record number of Americans, uh, you know, about, about, about half, are willing to uh, pay uh, to, um, to help uh, solve this challenge, address this challenge. And uh, that was a record number. And uh, it was another record number was that 80% of Americans thought that climate change was very important, which was about 60%. And uh, another 20% thought it was somewhat important. So 80% of the country agrees yeah. that, that we should be paying attention to this and solving. Do you know, do you know where Republicans came out in the in the pay for actually paying for it? In that I, I I can I can get you those those yeah. cross tabs, Josh. I will. But you know the the point is, and Neil, I think you articulated it perfectly. Americans generally and American companies don't like being told what they can or can't do, but they are more open to being told how much things cost. You know, if you want to drive on this road and you know it's going to cost you three dollars and and people understand that and then they decide whether they want to drive on that road or not well we should have the same policy for emissions and for carbon pollution if you're going to consume more that's fine but you're, you're there's a cost associated with it and you just have to pay it um so so anyway that that's why i do think that uh sooner or later uh, this is where everyone will land. Hey, very good. Just just one more policy thing for me, and uh, maybe we'll get into just a couple more on on the state of politics and uh, maybe your your plans uh, going forward or, or what you're kind of up to. But uh, but yeah, I, I'm wondering. Uh, this is kind of might might seem somewhat random, but uh, you know, I, I feel as this is coming out, I know the EPA is working on methane regulations, and methane's kind of been a big focus now of, uh, you know, the climate community is, is an area that you can really make a big, sh uh, you know, short-term, you know, immediate impact given it's, it's more potent in, in the short term. I remember when, when I was visiting you uh, in your district, you, you were, that, at that time, that was when tr uh, President Trump, former President Trump was trying to undo uh, methane from the EPA and you were, you were vocally saying that that was the wrong move. We, we've since seen uh, oil and gas companies say that they want uh, regulation on new and existing sources. We're, we're going to see those details here. They might be out when this comes out. But I mean, in general, do you think that's an, an area that you might see might be an exception to Republicans saying, you know, regulation has a role? Or do you feel like uh, that, that still might be iffy territory? Well, look, I, I think Republicans can definitely come around on on regulating methane. I mean, yeah. Uh, Republicans just supported essentially outlawing, outlawing or you, you could consider it a way of regulating yeah, HFCs, HFCs, yeah. HFCs right. which, which was, again, another significant bipartisan victory that was unimaginable just some years ago. But on methane, it's the same thing. Like, seriously, who the hell wants to be for methane emissions? I mean, the, the, not, as you said, not even the people who would benefit 
from that if they got to do it at no cost they're against it too because they know it's just bad and 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 unsustainable so it was nice to see uh double digit house republicans vote uh with democrats to yeah. uh i guess to bring back uh the the, the methane's emission rule and yeah. i think uh, there was at least one republican senator um uh in the senate who who also uh, voted that way a few and, yeah Lindsey Graham was one. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So um, again, everywhere we look, we see growing bipartisan cooperation and collaboration on climate. Some of it is quiet. And, and, and for a lot of Republicans, that's purposeful. They, they don't necessarily want to be advertising, you know, especially if they have upcoming primaries that they're working on this issue. But the bottom line is that they are. And, and many are willing to do it. Uh, prominently. And I applaud John Curtis for this initiative of having a Republican only uh, caucus for this issue, because that's going to give Republicans uh, an opportunity to learn from each other, you know, to not feel like they're being pressured or judged by Democrats. And, and that's what we need. I mean, th this is a new issue for Republicans. It's an issue that Republicans ignored for a, at least a couple decades. And that's the key word you know, this denialism, that, that's, a, that's a joke. You know, very few people, I found very few Republicans in Congress who actually denied climate science. I did find many who, who just had no motivation or interest in engaging the issue. And that has all changed, you know, which is wonderful news. Pivoting a little bit, uh, Josh teed this up and I love it, uh, talking about politics and potentially what you be, may be doing next. Uh, you know, I think back when I think of national politics to, to Tim Russert in 2000 and that famous board where it was Florida, Florida, Florida. <laughs> Here we are 20 years later, Florida continues to be at the epicenter of national politics and Republican politics. You might have up to four Floridians, uh, you know, uh, with interest in the 2024 uh, presidential election with uh, President Trump is now Floridian, uh, Senator Rubio, Senator Scott, uh, Governor DeSantis, all kind of in the mix. Uh, do you have a sense for for what role, uh, you know, Florida politics may play in our national conversation going forward? And with what you stated at the beginning of the conversation about the increasing significance of combating climate change in Florida, do you think our nominee heading into 2024 uh, ought to have you know a platform to deal with uh climate change well neil first thing i'll say is that uh it sounds like florida tv stations are gonna have a a wonderful uh cycle in uh, 2020 2023 and 2024 if all yeah. those Floridians run I, I don't think they all will but certainly uh they all um they all would be credible candidates um i i know them all pretty well i think you know without question uh, setting aside the former president, uh, Ron DeSantis is uh, is in a very strong position if he uh, decides to pursue the presidency in 2024. Um, he um, early on in the pandemic, he, he got very high marks. More recently, he's he's had some run ins with, with school boards and school districts. But, um, you know, things in Florida are, are, are doing uh, amazingly well. Uh, and Ron DeSantis has uh, allocated record amounts of funding for environmental projects in the state of Florida. Uh, for the first time ever, we have a, a statewide uh, infrastructure fund for coastal communities to access uh, to, so that they can become more resilient. 
as soon as he became governor, Ron DeSantis appointed a chief science officer to kind of end uh, any silliness about whether this was a real issue or not uh, that, that needed to be addressed. He also appointed a chief resilience officer for the state to, to focus on uh, specifically coastal communities that are, that are vulnerable to sea level rise. So uh, it's very obvious that, um, you know, what one of the leading presidential candidates uh, for uh, 2024 is embracing this issue without saying climate change, without talking about emissions reductions, but he's very obviously what, embracing yeah. it. But you don't think that's still, a, I mean, a, a red flag? I mean, why, why can't a Republican in, in 2024, you know, openly say this is about climate change? Well, look, you don't, you don't need to tell me, Josh. And, and uh, you know, one of, one of my problems was that I'd never really cared uh, if I lost. I was never afraid of losing. I mean, I always wanted to win. And, and I won every time except the last one uh, during my, my time in public office. But, um, you know, some people just, don't like to take too much risk. Obviously, uh, primary contests are top of mind for most politicians these days running in partisan races. You know, walking the halls of the Capitol, the biggest yeah. fear any Republican or Democrat has is a primary challenger. Uh, so that's just unfortunate. And it's a, um, it's, it's a symptom of of how deteriorated and broken our, our politics are in this country. But, but it, you know, it is what it is. I tell people, look, as long as people are doing the right thing, you know, don't worry about what they say. Uh, and the other thing I say is when, especially people on the left accuse conservatives or Republicans of greenwashing or corporations, whatever it is, I say, you know, why don't we celebrate that this cause of, of reducing pollution and building a, a more sustainable planet is so compelling that people are even willing to fake it, that they, they, they want to be a part of it, uh, even, if, <laughs> even, even if they don't really mean it. So what, right? Like if you're, if, you, if you're in high school and you start a new club and kids who aren't in it are talking about, you know, being, being part of it, that, that's, that's a good thing. We, we, should, we should welcome that. And, and of course, you know, uh, try, to, try to make sure there's some follow-up and some action to back that up. But um, you know, there's there's just a, a lot of good stuff happening mm -hmm. on this issue. It's all beneath the surface, beneath the headlines, but it's there. And um, I think it'll become more and more yeah. apparent in the coming years. Cool. And, and, and just uh, on polarization and, and just where, you know, the Republican Party is right now. I mean, you know, Adam Kinzinger, I mean, obviously, you know, I don't know if he's, you talked about, you know, everyone's greatest fear is a primary. I mean, he's, he just recently announced he's not going to run for re-election. He's one of the more high-profile you know, Republican moderates, someone who uh, voted for President Trump's impeachment, has been very vocal. I know he, he might have other political considerations, but I mean, do you see that as, I mean, he's not he the first. Josh, I, I mean, yeah, he got redistricted, right. He got redistricted by Democrats in Illinois. Yeah, but do you see this as a problem though, going well, forward? I was going to say to Neil's point, yeah. this is how Democrats reward uh, courage on the Republican side of the aisle yeah. by drawing yeah. them out of their districts. Uh, but look, it, it, is, uh, it is a problem that people like Adam Kinzinger, uh, like Anthony Gonzalez, young uh, Republicans are, uh, are opting out. It's, um, it's not good for the future of our party. It's not good for the institution of the Congress. I found while I was there that, that younger members 
you know, young Gen Xers and, and millennials were much better at working together across the aisle and at having constructive dialogue uh, than, uh, than some of our older colleagues. And, and to see these uh, young, youngish Republicans uh, leaving Congress because they, um, you know, bottom line is they don't, they don't have sufficient motivation to run for reelection, uh, I think is, uh, is very unfortunate, is very unfortunate. And um, it's going to put the institution under more and more stress. And uh, I think we need two things in this country to, to help heal our politics. Number one is we need um, a generational renewal. I think that as more uh, young Gen Xers and millennials populate the Congress, things will get better. And the other thing we need is transformational le leadership. We need a president uh, uh, who, who is going to come in and, and really commit uh, to working in a bipartisan way. I mean, a, lo a lot of people thought Joe Biden would do that. I think it's, it's obvious by now that you know, his goal is to get as much of his party's policies passed as possible. Sure, this infrastructure bill will help and we'll, we'll give him a crutch uh, to say he worked in a bipartisan way, but I think a lot of the credit for that bill goes to Kirsten Sinema, uh, not, not really to the White House. You're a young guy with a proven track record of getting elected in a competitive district. Just unfortunately got smacked by a uh, blue wave. Uh, could you be uh, one of those uh, uh, generational leaders that, uh, that you just described going forward? Well, Neil, I, um, and I'm not giving the typical political BS response here. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, I thought about running again right after I lost and I concluded at the time uh, I lost, my, my daughters were nine and six. And, um, you know, I just kind of took this as a blessing uh, to, um, to just be home more and be more of a, you know, normal dad and, and husband, which is very difficult to do when you're serving in Congress. So uh, my daughter just turned 12 today. So a uh, happy birthday to her, even though she'll probably never Aww. listen to this, uh, to this podcast. <laughs> But um, not our demo. My daughter's now nine, so I'm I'm uh, I'm not saying I won't run again someday. It's certainly something I think about, and and obviously that I have a passion for. But for the foreseeable future, I'm uh, you know I'm I'm happy doing uh, what I can from the outside, which sometimes I think is is uh, you know is is easier to do than from the inside uh, on issues like this and others. And, uh, you know, and just uh, having, a, having a, a, a more normal life. But, but sure, it's something that, you know, maybe six, eight years down the line, uh, I'd, I'd look at, I'm 41, which, um, you know, a lot of people don't even start political careers till their 50s or 60s. So th there, there could be another, another round of, the, of that madness for me. Thank you for, uh, for joining us uh, for episode five. Uh, really, uh, really enjoyed the discussion. Thank you both, gentlemen. It was a pleasure. Yeah, Carlos, it again really, sometime. really appreciate your time. That's a wrap, everybody. I uh, appreciate you listening. We'll have another episode of the Washington Examiner's Plugged In podcast. It's going to come out to every Tuesday around noon, so stay tuned next week and also don't forget uh, if you don't already well I know, I know you do but if you don't uh, subscribe to my newsletter daily on energy you can do that also at washingtonexaminer.com and uh, we'll look forward to chatting with you next week
From the right policies to the right politics, Citizens for Responsible Energy Solutions helps bring durable climate solutions to life from a right-of-center perspective. Learn more about Cress's mission and programs, including the Clean Energy Boot Camp for candidates and elected officials at www.cressenergy.com.